Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Following the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from the Great White North and his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard. Welcome once again to Strange Planet. And on this episode, the true origins of human life have been hidden by the materialist philosophy that dominates current science and that in order to provide answers to the existential questions that human beings may have, we must be able to grasp what consciousness is and take another approach to the other approach rather than the current reductionist approach. Carl Johann Kalman argues that he has accomplished this through the development of a macrocosmic quantum theory, the theory of everything. Carl was born in Stockholm, Sweden. He has a PhD from the University of Stockholm in physical biology and was a senior researcher at the Department of Environmental Health at the University of Washington in Seattle. He's recognized as a world authority on the Mayan calendar. He's written seven books on this uh, topic. And his best-selling book, The Mayan Calendar and the Transformation of Consciousness, has been translated into 12 different languages. Previously, he authored The Purposeful Universe and Solving the Greatest Mystery of Our Time, The Mayan Calendar. His latest book is The Living Universe, The New Theory of Origins, Explaining Consciousness, The Big Bang, Fine-Tuning, Dark Matter, The Evolution of Life, and Human History. Carl, welcome to Strange Planet. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. Good to be with you. Likewise. Wow. A theory of everything in 45 minutes. <laughs> Not possible, <laughs> but let's try. Let's try. So the big questions, uh, why are we here? Uh, what do we, you know, what is our purpose here? Where did we come from? Where are we going? How did we get here? Uh, I don't know. Did I miss anything? Those are the big existential questions, I think, right? R right. I would say so too. Yeah. So, are the materialists, the reductionists, are they arguing that given enough time and resources, they could answer all these questions, or are they not asking the right questions, or are they not understanding what is actually meant by these questions? Well, I think it's a little bit of, of both, so to speak. I, I think they, they are not too interested in those questions to begin with. And um, it, it, it's also that they may not be as committed to actually unify all of science as I would be. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, when you start thinking about it, if you are to unify <coughs> all of science, you know, it really has to be based on consciousness. Because that's when you start, at least what that's what this book demonstrates, is that everything goes back to consciousness, that this whole... Uh, universe is a, an expression of the evolution of, of consciousness. And uh, consciousness also implies that there is some kind of an intelligence in the universe that is behind this creation. And when it comes to the established materialist scientists, they, that is kind of a taboo for some reason. They, they cannot accept that. And, uh, um, and so... <clears throat> because they always maintain this taboo, uh, I would say they're not really going or coming in the right direction in order to address the big uh, existential uh, questions. Instead, everything is then about matter, uh, lifeless matter in principle. And then if you look upon uh, the universe like that, you know, you, you're not likely to, to, to be able to address the... Uh, <coughs> The existential questions, uh, you're not uh, uh, going to be able to explain consciousness or so, life. Right. Uh, and we will come back to uh, consciousness, obviously, because it's central to the, the book. Uh, but let's start with um, macrocosmic quantum theory. If you could give me a definition, but for dummies, which is mainly me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, you know, for uh, about 100 years, uh, uh, quantum theory has been a uh, main uh, uh, 
topical study of, of physics. And, um, but if you go to some place like, say, Wikipedia or, or, you know, any representative of what I would call official science, they would say that quantum theory is something that is limited only to the subatomic uh, realm. Uh, in other words, it's only uh, active or or, or apply, uh, applicable on the microcosmic scale. Now, what what I've done here is basically uh, starting out from uh, the knowledge that the ancient Maya had, and several other peoples as well, except that the Maya are the <clears throat> the ones that have given us some kind of a, a, a numbers which makes it possible for to, for us to see how the evolution of, of the universe actually matches up with the various waveforms that exist on a macrocosmic scale. And so there are, you know, basically what is a, what is a quantum? Well, it's, it is a waveform with a particular frequency. And the frequency is linked then to a particular uh, energy uh, as well, but that's really the the only the the only basis for what how to define a a quantum, and it's really nothing that says that there could not be uh, <coughs> waves that are operating on on a large uh, macrocosmic scale. It's just that the the reductionist uh, approach uh, of official science prevents them from going in that direction and um, studying if there are waves on a macrocosmic scale that is driving evolution, that is behind the creation of phenomena, and actually then is behind the evolution of consciousness. Because these macrocosmic uh, quantum waves, they're actually the carriers of consciousness. And depending on the frequency of these different waves, it will be expressed in different aspects of, of the uh, creation and evolution of, of the universe. So it's interesting you talk about how if we're going to develop or you're we're going to develop this new theory of everything, macrocosmic quantum theory, you would need new tools, except they're not really new. Uh, there were tools utilized, as you, as you mentioned, by the Mayan or other ancient Mesoamerican civilizations. Um, yeah. So, I mean, and you are recognized as a world expert on Mayan civilization. Did you make that connection back then when you were writing and researching about, you know, whether it was the long count calendar or any of the other um, uh, technologies yeah. developed by the Mayans? Or, or was it kind of like looking back, you thought, oh, wait a minute, I've already, I, this makes sense now. Well, you know, the, the strange thing really is that um, I, it must have been in 1993 or something like that when I started to take the direction of studying the Mayan calendar. And uh, I sort of had it in me that the, this calendar system would, would be based on nine different levels somehow, uh, whether you describe this of, of, as nine different waves or diff nine different states of consciousness. But I really knew that somehow. And it, it's actually taken quite a long time until it, that has been verified by uh, people that have studied the Maya. And uh, it, it's really... You might say it was with the, the discovery with uh, of a particular monument that is called the mon the Tortuguero Monument Number Six, uh, which which directly said that you know there there is a, a completion of nine different levels, and uh, before. You know, before that, which probably happened in 2004 or something that that particular monument was discovered, there really wasn't any clear sources from the Maya that creation was built in nine levels like that, except that you could see the pyramids that all, many of them are built exactly in nine levels. And really then is a kind of a metaphor for macrocosmic uh, uh, quantum theory. And... Um, <clears throat> 
again, you know, there, there would be, I'm sure, representative of what I call uh, um, official science that wouldn't quite be uh, okay with the sort of basing themselves on, on uh, ancient people like that. Because in, in modern science, there is an idea that because we come after, we know better, so to speak. And, uh, but that, I, I don't think, uh, oh, sorry. Uh, I, I don't think that is uh, right at all. Um, and um, I, I, I think we do have significant things. Uh, to learn from uh, these ancient peoples. Uh, and it's, you know, it, it becomes very obvious when you start to uh, think about the existential questions, because uh, whether we like the kind of answers that the ancient peoples would be given, they certainly were concerned with that. And they, they certainly looked upon uh, our existence as part of some kind of a coherent, intelligent plan that has been lost. And uh, <clears throat> because that concept of, a, of an intelligent, coherent plan has been lost, you might say official science have been uh, unable to, uh, to, uh, to create a theory of everything. You know, you can't, if you don't believe that all of creation, that everything is connected to everything else in, in some kind of structured, intelligent way. Well, then you can't develop a theory that, that covers this because you have to have something that provides the unit, uh, unifying uh, uh, factor uh, for, for this. And that's partly why I believe that at this point in time, it is necessary to go back and uh, uh, retrieve some particular knowledge. And, and I think especially the knowledge that may be most important is that of the people in what used to be called Mesoamerica, or still is called Mesoamerica. In other words, Mexico, Guatemala, and that whole region between the South and North of, of America. Uh, Carl, could you give us a bit of a crash course on uh, how the Mesoamericans' understanding of, well, they talked about, um, you know, a time of activation. Um, and, you know, you mentioned waves and frequencies and how this uh, all works together. Can you kind of explain how that works for us? Well, it's basically the, uh, they have a special calendar system. And uh, most people have heard that, you know, the Maya were very advanced as astronomers. But that's actually a little bit beside the point. Because astronomy is based not on quantum theory, but it's based on basically on, on Newtonian physics. And so what is really interesting about the Maya is that the cycles that they described, and maybe one of the most famous ones of those is the long count. They are not based on astronomical uh, uh, cycles. They are based on uh, uh, what's called the, the TUN, the 360-day period, which is the, the uh, crucial a, a constant, you might say, that, that built up the, the calendar system. In other words, that is a non-astronomical, non-physical uh, uh, constant. And that's really what makes it to a quantum theory and also very interesting. So that's the first thing to, to, for anybody coming to this subject uh, anew is to, uh, to realize that the many of the most interesting uh, calendars that they left behind, and especially those that were used for prophetic purposes, were not based on astronomy. They were not based on the physical reality. And that makes all the difference in, in the world, because they were based on the evolution of consciousness. And the evolution of consciousness then uh, goes through uh, wave patterns. And these waves will have uh, peaks and valleys. Um, and um, the peaks 
generally are time periods when uh, things are moving forward, new creativity is, is being expressed, and the, the valleys are things when people slow down, uh, things slow down, even uh, destruction may take place, and um, that's um, uh, that's a characteristic of, of these waves that the the peaks and the valleys have different uh, qualities and actually each peak has a particular quality and um, now then there are basically nine waves created like this with peaks and valleys alternating um, between each other and um, it, they start at the basic level, and it actually goes back. The, the first level, the most basic level, actually goes back to a, a point in time before the Big Bang, uh, which is very interesting because it, it tells us that there is something that happened before the pre, uh, Big Bang. Some <coughs> intelligence, you might say, that prepared for the Big Bang. And um, then... With every new level, there's a, cre a creativity taking place on uh, that has a, sp a special character. So the the bottom level is just basically the first evolution of, of simple cells. The second level is the evolution of, of biological animals. The third level is, is about uh, upright standing uh, uh, apes, you might say. And then the fourth level is the evolution of, of different members of uh, uh, the human species. And it ends up in uh, the, the variety of human species that we are uh, ourselves, which is homo sapiens, basically. And then on top of that, there are different levels that continue to develop different aspects of the uh, um, of the mind, you might say, of of uh, these Homo sapiens. So, in the in the fifth wave, um, people start to express themselves um, artistically and symbolically, and, and um, you will have the first paintings and. Uh, uh, but it's still very, very slowly developing technology. And then comes the sixth wave, which is basically the long count, as, as the Maya would call it. And that, <coughs> I'm sorry, I have, have some kind of a cough. And, but that is the one that creates the civilizations. In other words, it changes the human mindset in such a way that we become able to create civilizations. And so the beginning of the so-called long count coincides with the first real civilizations that we know of on, on this planet. And then comes the seventh wave, which essentially is the industrial revolution, the eighth wave that is essentially the digital revolution, and then the ninth wave, which is uh, something a little bit outside of it all, which is capping all of this evolution off and uh, uh, brings back a, a kind of a unity consciousness uh, after a, a number of limited forms of consciousness that the lower waves have, have brought. So, um, so when you you know if if, if the the listener has uh, been to uh, Mexico and Guatemala and looked at some of these different uh, uh, pyramids, um, they will see that it, it is sort of built in nine levels. They are built in nine levels, and basically, what it means to climb one of those pyramids is to go through the entire evolution of consciousness or the universe. And in ancient times, that is really what the shaman kings would enact, symbolically speaking, because they were not at the end of this uh, or the completion of, of this whole process, but they, they still understood the, that this was coming and they also knew what, what they came from. In other words, from the bottom level of, of, of the pyramid. And um, I hope that gives a little bit of, of a yes. crash course. Absolutely. 
Well mm. done. <laughs> That's yeah. a tricky task. Um, now the the time of activation, the in the ninth wave. Um, when we think of the long form calendar, of course, we think of you know the long form calendar supposedly ending on the winter solstice of 2012. Um, but the actual time of activation uh, on this chart I'm looking at says March 9th, 2011th. So why the discrepancy or am I missing something here? Yeah, well, there is a discrepancy in this whole thing. And um, the, the, March, uh, the March 9th, 2011 is actually the activation time for the ninth wave. And um, I, I'm not sure if we should spend our time in, in going into these kind of uh, calendrical details. Um, I, 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 no, I, I, I do not think so, actually. Okay, that's fine. All yeah. right, what is then, what is the driving force? What is the mechanism uh, that propels consciousness from one activation uh, period to, an act, to the next? Well, I have no answer to that. I, you know, I, I just think that's how that's the built-in nature of, of of consciousness. And basically, the the model that I'm developing of of consciousness is like it is like a golden egg or something like that, and which is a metaphor that's commonly used in many uh, ancient traditions, and and. Um, that this golden egg sort of moves through this kind of a serpent-like uh, movement that each of these different uh, um, uh, waves provide. And how or why it is like that is very hard to, to say, but it's, you know, because everything follows a very clear pattern, a coherent pattern, it's hard to avoid any other conclusion than that it's all... Uh, an intelligence behind it all, um, even though we may never really get to uh, um, that intelligence. And <coughs> consciousness itself is sort of invisible, uh, or it's at least it's invisible to uh, our physical instruments, it's invisible to our senses as, as human beings. And, and yet, what this book demonstrates, and I'm sure many other people have demonstrated uh, as well, is it's something that really does exist and plays a, sig a significant role in, um, uh, in, in, in evolution. And I think one of the major conclusions to draw from my own work is that the evolution uh, of, of, of consciousness is a unified, it follows a unified model from before the Big Bang and at least up until our, our present time. In other words, it's not different kinds of evolution. It's actually one and the same kind of evolution, even though the frequencies may differ in different ways, you can also demonstrate that it's a, sort of a coherent model of, of, of consciousness. Now, that is interesting and, and important because that's really then what makes uh, consciousness the most fundamental aspect of uh, existence. The, the fact that it's just one evolutionary process really, uh, it takes a little bit of turns, you might say, <coughs> but it, it's just one in principle evolutionary process. And... Uh, that is why uh, consciousness is the most fundamental aspect of existence. That's what everything material ultimately goes back to. Because as my book demonstrates, the, the formation of star system, the formation of, of galaxies, or even the formation of the universe at large, is actually can be assigned to or attributed to this particular evolution of consciousness. Carl, we'll take a quick time out. We'll come back and continue to delve into the living universe. Stay with us. Hey, it's Kaylee. 
Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's time to redefine reality. This is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Welcome back. This is the new one from Carl Johan Callum. The Living Universe, New Theory of Origins. Just sticking with the, uh, the calendar for a moment, uh, what happens after the, uh, the ninth period of activation? Do we reset? Do we go back to zero or do we go to a tenth and an eleventh? Um, no, I think what, what is happening at the current time is that all of these different waves are continuing to run in parallel. I don't think there is any tenth or eleventh waves. Um, they should have already been activated. And, you know, if you also consider the fact that the ninth wave is bringing back a kind of a unity consciousness. In other words, the, the, the evolution of the, uni, of the human mind starts with the fifth wave, that is unity consciousness. And then it goes through a different, a couple of different uh, states of consciousness that actually bring separation, the sixth and the seventh and the eighth way. And then it returns to unity with a with the ninth wave. So it, it is sort of starting with unity, going through separation, and then re- returning to, to unity. And I don't think that, you know, you can have more unity. You can't have any more aspect of, of completion than the, 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 such a unity state of, of consciousness. And so that's part of the reason I don't think um, there are any such things as, as the 10th or 11th waves, uh, besides the fact that the Maya themselves would, bring, would uh, build their pyramids in nine levels. And so <coughs> it was their view that mm, it was nine levels. And you find that kind of nine levels in, in several other uh, uh, Traditions, you you find it, for instance, in in my own my among my own ancestors of the Vikings there that they saw there they said there were nine worlds, or if you go to you know the pagodas in Korea or or in in East Asia, they're typically based in in nine uh, levels. Also, they in uh, and so they they had some the concept of a quantized evolution you know like pagodas are built in in steps as they as you climb it uh, upwards and um, they well there's a variety of course some will emphasize 13 levels but uh, uh, mostly it is nine levels and uh, that's it's just you know it's not proof of anything really except then that that's what the the ancient peoples seem to have been thinking of right i don't i don't i don't want to take the metaphor too far but uh, or the this theme too far but i'm trying to think how many are, are there nine chakras um i've heard that and i think traditionally there were seven chakras uh, and then there's been talk about an eighth and ninth, and then you have people saying that there are 13 chakras, and I, I, I'm not really the right person of, to ask, uh, except that traditionally, there, I think there were seven of them. Okay. I guess um, what this is kind of getting to is, you know, all these different cultures and civilizations sort of maybe in their own way referring to the same thing, using different language, using different yeah. ways of explaining it, uh, which leads me to the idea of the, of the creation stories that we have. And you talk about in the book how, you know, there have been five major creation-type myths that have been identified, uh, yeah. including, you know, the, the modern scientific one with the Big yeah. Bang and, and macroevolution and so forth. Yeah. Are they all in their own way talking about 
do you think the same way, but maybe not understanding? Are they all speaking to the same thing, but not understanding it? Yeah, I, I definitely think there is a truth to pretty much all of these different uh, uh, ancient creation stories. But they, you know, they, they never had the kind of techniques for measuring time and so forth that, that the modern science uh, have been uh, given. And so they, they, you, you will not get any kind of a complete picture of, of the creation from the ancient stories. But they, I think they are, at the same time, I think they are, are remarkably accurate in, 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 in certain ways. The modern creation story, and by that then I, I mean the one that has been developed essentially by physical science, um, it sort of stands out in the sense that it doesn't seem to have any uh, uh, plan behind it. Uh, all the others, you know, will have some kind of a creator that seems to have some kind of intent. <coughs> and then behind, you know, as part of that, there will be evolutionary processes or there will be uh, some kind of animals playing a role in seeding creation and uh, uh, the, the, the golden egg would be cracked up, and uh, which is really kind of the same thing as, as the Big Bang story. The difference is that the modern Big Bang story always tries to make it as this is a, a, a accident or something that just randomly happened. And it, it's sort of forbidden to say that there is some kind of a coherent intelligence behind it all. But I think, you know, the, the, these ancient uh, stories that I've been looking at, they, they always seem to hold some kind of a truth. If you're willing to, to um, Twi what should I say? Not twist it, but uh, consider that uh, um, it won't be a really literal explanation for uh, creation. But there are, are typically uh, significant parts of the truth, I think, that those creation stories are given. And the Genesis account of creation, um, do you see parallels between the Genesis account of creation and your macro-quantum well, I would say the, the Genesis uh, uh, account of creation is pretty much, I think, is really a political statement to a large extent. Uh, you know, of course, it's, it's thought of as the, the foundation of, of the Jewish, Christian, Muslim uh, religions, the Abrahamitic uh, religions. But... Um, it has a very strange, uh, you know, first of all, uh, as I already mentioned, in, in many other uh, cultures, uh, the, the creator gods are actually serpents. And uh, um, the Maya, certainly the plumed serpent played a major role. In uh, the Amazonas, for instance, it is the, the great anaconda that has created the, the human beings. And among the aborigines in Australia, it is the rainbow serpent that creates the world. And so in, in most of these ancient traditions, there is a, a, a role of the serpents as being creators. The biblical version is really denies this, or at least... Uh, the, the you know the 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 god uh, Yahweh he curses the the serpent he basically wants to take over the role that the serpent has had uh, certainly in the minds of people so it's really um, <coughs> this um, book of Genesis story is really something that uh, paths the way for. Um, for a, a patriarchal system of, of dominance because this god is sort of purportedly taking over from the serpent and sort of kicks out the serpent. The, the funny thing about that is that 
you know, even after this, say that this particular version of Genesis, that that was created about 2,500 years. But if you use these different Mayan serpents with their different frequencies and shift points and so forth, you will find that the serpents are actually what has continued to create the universe. It's a continuing process based on wave movements. And so these are reasons for me to think that uh, the, the the Genesis story is not the the most reliable one. That it it's had an agenda, you might say, uh, in in uh, creating a, and maintaining a kind of patriarchal system. Carl, we'll take another time out. Come back and uh, talk further about uh, your new theory of origins right here on Strange Planet. The truth goes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Second, it is violently opposed. Third, it is accepted as self-evident. You're listening to Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. That's the new one, The Living Universe, The New Theory of Origins. Carl Johann Kalaman, PhD, my guest. Uh, when we think of God... Is that the same thing as talking about unified consciousness? Is that God? Yeah, I think so. I I really think that you know that it's there seems to be kind of a hierarchy of levels of consciousness in the universe, and you know at the very most basic level. Even uh, uh, photons and electrons and these kind of elementary particles um, ha have a kind of consciousness. They are, as they are entangled with uh, other uh, such entities, uh, they actually are aware of each other's uh, existence and the kind of states that these uh, other uh, entities are in. And, uh, but then, there is a whole uh, range, you might say, uh, a, a nested hierarchy of uh, states of consciousness or holons, as I would uh, say, call them, because they are part of a holographic universe. And uh, then even, you know, the, the human uh, mind, the humans is one particular level of consciousness. But then the planet is a level of consciousness. And then the heliospheric system, the solar system, is a level of consciousness and has a center, so to speak. And each one of these have, has some kind of a sphere at the center of them. And then if you climb up to the higher and higher system, the, the, the galaxy that these different solar systems are part of is a, a level of consciousness. And ultimately, there is a, a central uh, level of consciousness, a, a cosmic level of consciousness that basically unifies the, the, uh, uh, the entire universe. And um, that is, you know, I think that is really uh, uh, what, what people have experienced as uh, God. Um, and the interesting thing is then that, you know, because of a quantum phenomenon that is called entanglement, these different levels are aware of each other. And then what then people probably would be calling God would be the cosmic uh, center of it all. And uh, uh, that would be exactly aware of everything that goes on in, in the universe, and which is kind of an aspect of, of what people uh, would generally associate with the, uh, um, the concept of God, the all-knowingness, you might say. But also it's interesting because, you know, people, what people sometimes uh, direct themselves to what they call God um, is then... Uh, um, in prayers for certain purposes or, or meditations or, or 
connecting like that. Now, the the interesting thing about that is is that if this central consciousness actually is aware on some level of everything that goes on in the universe, then the whole idea of prayers and meditations or or connecting to this particular level of consciousness really makes more sense because you know if you're able to tap into that or connect to that, you know you might also be able to get the kind of guidance that you may need in order to uh, attain what 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 it is that you want. What is the purpose of matter in this in this uh, model? If we ha- if if we have pure consciousness, why do we need material? Why do we need yeah. matter? Yeah, um, I, who knows if we need it? Uh, it? It just seems that the the uh, ultimate intelligence of uh, uh, the universe felt that it was a good idea. Um, that's all I can say. Uh, um, I, I, well, there, there might be a lot to this, much more to it, so to speak. I mean, uh, for, for consciousness to fully experience life and the universe, you know, matter is probably needed. Uh, um, I would say so. Right. In order to experience, we need to be able to touch and feel and yeah, taste, yeah. and that requires matter. Yeah. Does your theory of everything explain what happens after we die? Not really, except that <clears throat> possibly it does, but not with certainty, so to speak. But, you know, uh, a good uh, thing to bring up when it comes to consciousness is, are these various studies that have been done with the uh, near-death experiences and, and similar experiences, especially in, in cases of, of very life-threatening surgery and so forth. Because what, what happens at those particular times is that consciousness is something disconnected from the body. And there's a large number of reports of consciousness of a person that have been undergoing surgery who and who sort of comes out and looks upon the whole situation from above and the surgery that is going on and these this consciousness will also be aware of a number of different phenomena that it really wouldn't be able to see if it was just part of of the body and what that tells us then really is that the 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 Consciousness uh, will remain intact, even in a case when a body uh, may be dying. And uh, so in principle, you would say that that consciousness, it could be the the soul or or, or something like that. And uh, um, but I wouldn't say that we know for sure how far it, it would go what happens to it afterwards. But it, it, it does tell us that consciousness is not something that uh, is totally linked to our physical bodies. Uh, it may be linked to it, but it's not created by our physical bodies. Instead, it's really something that our bodies have downloaded. And if it's downloaded, it, it could remain also outside after the 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 body is is dead but how far and where it goes then we don't know so what is what is the ultimate purpose uh then of um each of us uh or even a unified consciousness is it to ultimately rejoin let's call it the godhead or the cosmic consciousness what is the purpose yeah well, that's a difficult thing. I, th- I think uh, one of the uh, purposes of, of th- this creation is to have people attained a kind of a unity consciousness, the, the one or the ninth way. And the reason I'm saying that is that it is the highest level of, of the nine-storied pyramids. 
And that is, uh, in principle, if people were uh, have uh, been able to connect to this uh, state of consciousness of the ninth wave, it does mean that the world is could become a better place. Uh, it, it could mean that we no longer project uh, duality onto others. We don't uh, um, express dominance, because if you have a unity consciousness, you don't do that. So I think that that may have been, or may still be, uh, the, the, the reason for creating this universe. And for, in order for uh, a particular species, the homo sapiens of, of humans, to attain that kind of a state on, on a larger scale, and so actually be able to create some kind of a heaven on earth. Um, and um, other than that, you know, there, there is some uh, saying, I think, uh, I think it's a Muslim saying, which, which is, you know, somebody asked, you know, what, I asked God, Allah, why, why, why was this created? And uh, the, the God then answers, uh, because I was a hidden tre treasure and I wanted to be known. So there could be, you know, part of the purpose for us to just uh, feel the the immensity of creation and be able to see it and appreciate it, um, and um, that that's <coughs> that's another possible explanation. <clears throat> Does uh, a unified consciousness that perhaps, I don't know, uh, connects with the cosmic consciousness, does that, according to this theory, perhaps uh, beget other big bangs and other universes? Well, I, um, I'm kind of skeptical of that. Um, I, I'm, not, <clears throat> I'm not sure. I, I mean, I, what I do know is that there is no such evidence. And... <clears throat> Another thing is that, you know, this whole idea of a multiverse uh, that has become kind of popular in the past uh, 20 years or something like that is, is really a, uh, the reason it emerged was really that, you know, scientists, materialist scientists uh, had to deal with the fact that the universe was fine-tuned for uh, the emergence of life. In other words, that <clears throat> all the constants that are associated with the various physical laws seems to be precisely exactly what was needed uh, in order for life to emerge. And now, how do you how do you look upon that if you're a, a atheist? Well, you can't really explain it except for saying that well, there's so many other universes out there. There's a multiverse, and uh, we just happen to be one of those that that where everything was precisely fine to. Now, that's you know, I don't think that's a credible argument, but that that is really just it's developed mainly because uh, scientists uh, uh, with a materialist philosophy uh, have had a hard time explaining why our universe is uh, precisely uh, fine-tuned for the emergence of life. So I'm kind of skeptical uh, of these thoughts for the very reason that I, I know the origin, I know what, why people started to uh, talk about this. Having said that, you know, I can't say I have any evidence against it either. Uh, as they have no evidence for it. And, uh, you know, you can speculate in such situations in, in many different directions. So since we're in this ninth activation and, and our consciousness presumably then is uh, evolving, uh, becoming unif more unified, that, that almost speaks to a very hopeful future. Uh, I mean, are these waves... And, and eras of activation, are they immutable? I mean, are they... Um, I can think they the disrupted? Can they be disrupted? Yeah, no, I, I think uh, the, the waves as such are immutable. But the whole question is that, you know, to what extent 
human beings are developing resonance with these different waves and how they do it. And uh, um, and at the current time, you know, this this particular way of looking at reality is, is largely unknown uh, among people, and meaning that they don't really feel compelled. Many people don't feel compelled of, of going in the direction of, of a state of unity consciousness. Um, but um, I, I think essentially uh, resonance with any of these waves will uh, require of you that you cultivate uh, the, the this resonance. And uh, uh, yeah, and that's, that's why um, it, it, you know, the world is, is looking very difficult at the current time. Uh, very difficult, I, I would say. And it's, uh, even if, you know, even if you could say that the waves are going in the direction of, of activating the, the ninth wave, uh, we know the difficulties that the world is faced with. And Part of it is this lack of development of, of resonance with the, uh, um, with the ninth wave in particular, but also maybe the eighth wave. The Living Universe, the New Theory of Origins, explaining consciousness, the Big Bang, fine-tuning, dark matter, the evolution of life and human history. Carl Johan Kallerman, uh, anything that you'd like to leave us with that I haven't brought up or that do you think is important to leave with my listeners? Well, I think this is... a it's kind of a unique book that you know nobody has previously uh, described a complete <coughs> evolution of consciousness uh, as the underlying factor in the uh, history of the universe. It's never been done before, and it's been done with this. It is actually a coherent case made that uh, consciousness is the most fundamental aspect of the universe. And that by itself is very important, especially if you consider that consciousness is this connecting factor between all living species, including ourselves and including our relationships to animals uh, and so forth. So it's, it's um, and it, this book brings science into this whole thing. It's not just, uh, speculation, so to speak, but it is a complete case made based on uh, scientific evidence. It's not this, <clears throat> the, the evidence would probably not be accepted by a lot of uh, um, uh, materialist scientists, but, you know, I, I wouldn't say they can argue against it either. Uh, they, all they can do is really to avoid the whole issue and, and try to I hope that this will not reach enough of uh, an audience. Carl, a great pleasure. How do we get a copy? Well, uh, thank you. Um, I, I think the best way is simply to go to Amazon.com. Uh, but but it, it, it will be distributed through other uh, sources as well. But as usual, that is probably the most convenient. Carl, a great pleasure. Thank you so much for spending some time. Thank you so much, Richard. A new Richard Serrett's Strange Planet drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Subscribe at strangeplanetpodcast.com.